Good morning, everyone. Well, uh, this this week, uh, and the images that we've seen on our screens have been so challenging and so difficult. And I think it, it, it got to a point where you almost think I, I can't I can't watch more any anymore. It's just so heartbreaking. Yet amongst it all, some some of the things have been encouraging. Just really, really difficult. One of the pictures that I've seen circulating on Twitter last night, so I can't I didn't have the time to dig deep to see whether it actually it is true, but it seemed to be very legit because some of the news outlets were picking it up. It was a picture of obviously uh, w- one of the towns that had been reduced to rubble, and amongst it all, there was a building that was still standing up. So people were asking, "Do you can you guess what the building is?" And apparently, it was the building, the, the chamber of the local structural engineers <laughs> that was still standing up. Whether it's true or not, I I don't really know, but one thing is for sure: as I looked at that, I thought at times. Christians have been like that, in the sense that I'm fine, I've sorted myself out, I've found Jesus, I'm following Jesus, and I don't really care about other people. As long as I'm all right, I'm fine. If it's true, it seems that the local structural engineers did a good job on the building that they were working in, and probably the houses they were living in, selfishly. But again, as news comes out, it seems like there have been things that have been ignored and things that could have been done better. It's always a challenge for those of us who follow Jesus, how we live our life and whether it makes a difference to the people around us. Uh, if, if you're this morning for the first time in, in, in this series of sermons, what we've been doing is we've been looking at the book of Acts which is uh, one of the books in the Bible that describes what the first Christians looked like, what they were doing, what they were thinking, what, it w- what was going on. And my suggestion is that we can learn so much from what we see there. Obviously, times have changed. Obviously, we live in a different circumstances, in different circumstances, in a different culture. But one of the things that doesn't change is the reality and the principles that were behind those first Christians who started following Jesus. And we left the story last week where we realized that after at the day of Pentecost, a miraculous thing happens. It draws a big crowd. Peter, one of the apostles, preaches a great message. And 3,000 people start following Jesus as a result of that message. And as they start following Jesus, they spend time learning what it means to follow Jesus. So they get involved in teaching in praying, in belonging to the church, and in celebrating communion, the Lord's Supper, reminding themselves of what Jesus had done. But it didn't stay there. It didn't stop there. And unfortunately, a lot of the Christians in, 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 in our day and across the centuries have done that mistake where they have become a Christian, they started following Jesus, and then they said, it's all about me. And I'm going to spend loads of time trying to get maturity, trying to learn how to follow Jesus, and some of them have even cut themselves off from the rest of the world. Thankfully, that's not what you see in the book of Acts. And this is where we're picking up the story as we continue where we are. So we're in Acts chapter 3, and we're going to read just the first 10 verses. 
One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When this man saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him and said, look at us. Silver and gold we don't have, but what we have, we give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. When he went with them, then he went with them into the temple courts, praising God and jumping up. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at a temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Mission in action. I'm so glad that Peter and John and the rest of the disciples of Jesus, when they found Jesus, they didn't keep it to themselves. And you can see them right from the very beginning that they are going out. They're not cut off. They're not secluded. And in a beautiful kind of way, they're going out to pray at a temple. And the Christian life is an overflow life. Whatever you experience of God in a normal relationship with God begins to overflow into the lives of the other people around you. So to be somebody who says, I have a great relationship with God but I don't really care about other people. That's an oxymoron. It doesn't work. It's a contradiction in terms. A life lived with Christ and with a devotion to God ends up a life that touches other people's lives. And this is what you see here with Peter and John. They go to pray at the temple, and, and I love that because that's where good stuff flows out of. Very often uh, across, across the centuries, at times, Christians that were involved in, in, in working in the local community, and particularly if you peel back the layers, everything to do with our, our education, social care, uh, everything to do with medical benefit, everything that's been established to look after people somehow underneath has good Christian roots. You know, even great football teams like Aston Villa, you know, it started as a church cricket team that ended up being a wonderful club. I had to get that in. The point is, everything in our society really, underneath, has a layer of Christians getting involved in trying to alleviate. Think of the work that the Salvation Army has done, and the abolitionists like Wilberforce. And everything underneath has this layer, but why is it there? And at times, people have said, well, you can do good stuff in the community, but don't talk about God. We can't not, because it flows out of you. You actually do what you do because of God and because of what God has done in your life. And this is the kind of overflow that you see here. These two men, these two disciples, these two apostles are going to pray. And as they're going to pray, they are meeting this man. Now, I've heard loads of sermons, and probably I preached some of them, where people make the point here that they were open to an interruption. And I just... It was just this morning that it dawned on me. This was not an interruption. This was part of a full spirit-filled life. See, in our mindsets, we tend to kind of separate. I'm doing good God kind of stuff, and then I'm doing rest of my life kind of stuff. And it could have been that Peter and John would have said, 
We're going now to pray, and this is our kind of God stuff. We haven't got time for this beggar that is asking for money. But the real Christian life is integrated. It's all linked in. Worship and mission is part of the same thing, and it flows out fairly naturally. So for them, it wasn't an interruption. It was a continuation. They were going to pray, but filled with the Spirit of God, they noticed this man who had been there. And I think we can learn a lot about how to live on mission from Peter and John. And here is the first thing that really strikes me. I think they they had this consideration about this man. They see and hear this man. This would have been a very mundane picture. And actually, if if, if you live in a different context, uh, particularly in a developing nation, very often you would find it around places of worship, there are always people who are begging for money. Why is it? Because it's kind of difficult to come out of worship and meeting with God and be stingy and tight-fisted. So those people know that actually all of us who would be coming out of church would find it a bit difficult to be resisting the urge to give to somebody who is in deep need. And that would have been a normal thing. Around the temple, there would have been probably tens and hundreds of people that would have been struggling and needed some help, and they were begging for some money. So actually, it would have been a mundane picture, just as if if you live locally and you come around half past eight to nine o'clock, around you know the front of Carnforth High, what are you going to see? You're going to see loads of cars, loads of students, loads of parents dropping off their kids. It's a mundane picture. You don't notice it after you've seen it once, twice, three times, four times. You're just used to it. You just drive. You don't notice anything. It's part of the background. It's part of the wallpaper, if you want. And that's what happened. Yet for some reason, because they were filled with the Spirit of God, they see and hear this man. Though there would have been hundreds of them there, probably. Peter and John notice him. And they hear his request. Because the people that are filled with the Spirit of God have new eyes and new ears. And they can see what maybe before they didn't see. This man was really needy. And spirit-filled followers of Jesus would respond to that with a sense of consideration. A big enemy of consideration is that we're busy. We are busy. Most of the time, that's why we don't hear. That's why we don't see. We're just busy. When you're busy, you're rushing from one place to another. And you're trying to think, okay, what do I need to do? What do I need to get? You know, how many times, you know, have you ever been in a supermarket, you know, and you see somebody from church or a friend or a neighbor, and you, you do that thing. It's probably just me. You're all good people. You know, you do that thing where you're thinking, how much time have I got? I've got to get home. I've got to put tea on. You know, I've got to take the kid to the ballet class, you know, and I've got to take the boy to rugby or wherever. You know, and then there's somebody, and you've got a choice to make. Will Will I stop? You know, will I get involved? Will I engage with them? You know, where are they at? You know, have they had a hard day? You know, and in the back of a man, you're thinking, I've got to drive home. I've got to do tea. We're busy. And very often that business is a great enemy to hearing and seeing people. 
And Peter and John were busy. They were going to the prayer. I mean, I don't think that, you, you, you know, they lived any different than us. Okay, okay we, we keep thinking we're the busiest people on earth. I'm sure it was busy in other times and in other contexts. But they take the time for consideration to see and hear this man. The other thing that really strikes me is their compassion. Sometimes we can hear and see people, but actually what they share with us is so overwhelming that we're thinking, I can't deal with this. This is too much. And actually what this man was asking, he was asking for some money. He was asking for something that would help him probably get his next meal and just to be able to survive. And Peter and John were skint. You remember, they they had a lucrative fishing business. Well, it was lucrative most of the time. But actually, you know, when they followed Jesus, they kind of lost that. So they were not rich men at all. They were probably surviving on the shared goods of the community of faith. So don't think that Peter and John were going around with loads of cash in their pockets. So what he's asking for them, they could have just simply ignored straight away and said, do you know what? Pockets are empty, got nothing to give, move on. But it didn't. Because a spirit-filled follower of Jesus is compassionate. Something has happened to his or her heart, and they're no longer the same. Beforehand, they would have rationalized, I'm skint, I'm moving on. Now, they're different. They're taking time to stop, and they're looking him straight in the eyes, and they're beginning to talk to him. Because that's what compassion does. Compassion engages. They don't just stay at the cerebral level where they just say, this is the, these are facts. Man needs money. Me, no money. Me, move on. Now, they say, here is a man who's needy. Let's stop. Let's look at him. Let's talk to him. Let's engage. Because we care. We are compassionate. And that's the heart of Jesus that's always been visible there in his ministry. And, you know, in one sense, our heads connect with information, but our heart connects with emotion. And when we want to develop our compassion, we need to make sure that we're not just ruled by our heads, but we let our hearts be engaged as well. And a big enemy of compassion, one, of, one is cynicism. You know, it's cynicism. You know, how many times you've watched the news and you watched a particular segment in the news There was maybe talking about some people who are struggling financially, you know, and they live in a particular area. And maybe they're a second or third generation unemployed and you've been cynical and you said, well, I, I know what they're spending their money on. Cynicism is so dangerous. Because it makes so many assumptions, which at times can be so wrong. And we can be cynical. We can say, well, you know, I heard this story. I've heard this story about this guy who was begging, and actually it was fake. He wasn't actually sick. I've heard this story about this begging, and you should see how much money he's got stashed away. Cynicism just can creep in. But they were not cynical. They were compassionate. And the other one is, is that sense of being self-absorbed. Compassion cannot thrive in our hearts when we're self-absorbed. 
And that can be very justifiable. You know, we're going, most of us are going at some point in our lives or most of the times in our lives through some hard stuff. And we can be so filled with compassion fatigue that we actually say, do you know what? I haven't got time for your stuff right now because I've got my stuff to deal with. And if we're really honest, probably most of our lives we can live like that because there's plenty of stuff in our lives to deal with, not to give us time or compassion or emotion towards somebody else. It's a big enemy. We need to work so hard to not be self-absorbed as not to notice the needs of others. And the two disciples compassionately engage with him, talk to him, grab him by the hand. And then the third thing that's really significant here is that sense of conviction that they can do something for him in the name of Jesus that normally they couldn't do. I like the fact that they're very truthful and aware about their limitations. They say, look, silver and gold we have not. They tell the truth. That's the reality. But they don't stop there. There's a conviction within their hearts that because of the presence of Jesus, who they would have seen make so many miracles and touch so many people with his love and power, they are so convinced that because Christ lives in them, they actually have something to offer that isn't silver and gold. That is much better. I mean, silver and gold would have bought the man a couple of meals. But what they are doing, they're offering him something in the name of Jesus that will change his life forever. How do they do that? It is because they know their identity. They know that Christ lives in them. They know that they're not longer just Peter and John, but they are Peter and John, the followers of Jesus, with the power of Christ in their lives. They're aware of their identity. And they remember the promises of Jesus. Jesus promised that they will have authority in his name after he has ascended into heaven. And therefore, in a very humble way, I love the fact that they never make it about themselves. It's always about Jesus. Unashamedly, they say, who is it that does this? It is Jesus. It's not them. It's not their power. It's not their wisdom. It's not their goodness. It's the work of Christ. And it's Jesus himself that does that. Really important thing to say here. Every time you're anywhere around the miraculous and it isn't about Jesus, run as fast as you can. They are unashamedly with great humility pointing towards Christ. And this conviction also has enemies. And one of the enemies is the fact that sometimes we can just wallow in our own human limitations. We can just look at our own resources and we can say, we can do nothing. We can do nothing. We can do nothing. The amount of phenomenal stories that I've heard of people who are absolutely financially not rich, who obeying God and trusting God did amazing things. Just Google a man called George Muller and Bristol when you go home. If you don't know the story, it's one of the most significant people that was used by God in terms of socially impacting the life of orphans in Bristol. A man that was not rich, but a man that had a great faith. And God did miraculous things repeatedly, honoring this man's faith. Just such an incredible thing that we do when we don't stop with our own limitation and say, well, I can't do, you know, I'm not healthy enough. I'm not wise enough. I am not rich enough to do something. 
instead of saying, what can Jesus do? And that's what they did. They changed the question. It wasn't about what they could do. It's about what Jesus in them could do. And the enemy of, 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 of that sense of confidence is that we are not aware of this deep and yet simple theological truth that Jesus lives in us by his spirit. And he can touch people's lives when we can't. Whether it's compassion, whether it's love, whether it's power, whether it's wisdom, whatever it is, he has it. And he's in you and he's in me. And he can touch other people's lives through that. So we need to have that sense of conviction like Peter and John did to be able to offer to people what Jesus gives them. The amazing thing is that after it all happens, there's this transformation. The man is healed, and he begins to um, make a real scene. (laughs) He was probably embarrassing himself in a good way, and everybody noticed what happened. And the reaction of the people was, it, it says they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. There was a real wow factor as people observed. So it wasn't just that the man was transformed, but also the local community noticed the presence of Jesus in a significant way, and they were amazed. And you have to wait till next week to find out what what goes on as a result of it. But one thing is for sure, God's transforming power was at work both in the man's life and in the community's life. As we look at this, this is a wonderful informal template of how to live missionally. How to live missionally, we we live missionally by having this integrated life. Yes, we go to pray, but on the way of praying, we're attentive to what God is saying to us, and we're ready to stop to reach out to other people and bless and encourage them. How do we live on mission? We live on mission by learning to pay attention, to listen, and to watch what's going on around us. Where do you live? Who are the people that live next to you? Who are the people that God has placed you in a workplace with? Who are the people that you meet on your journeys? I was uh, reading this Twitter thread. I I do other stuff apart from reading Twitter. It was a really, really interesting uh, Twitter thread about this, um, this person that was traveling from work with... uh, uh, two or three other colleagues, and um, there was a, a younger man who was just sitting opposite on a train, and in a kind of weird, this is Britain, in a kind of weird kind of way, he started talking to, to people. And it turns out that he'd, he'd, he'd been to, 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 to spend the last few days with his dying grandma. And he just began to talk about it. And uh, people realized, I think they're quite switched on, people realized that, you know, he was kind of almost, that was very isolated, didn't have anybody that he could voice some of the things that he was processing. And they almost became his, his people that were listening and they were asking questions. And then there were a few other conversations that were going on. And it, it almost like sparked a different atmosphere in that little part of the train. And people began to talk about what they do and uh, di- different things different ones of them ended up finding their station and getting off the train. And uh, finally they realized that actually somebody left their phone. And the person who was doing the threat said, uh, 
interestingly enough, because of the conversation that we had and because the sort of uh, amateurish stalking abilities of social media nowadays, we were able to identify the person. We knew where they worked and we were able to identify the person and return the phone. And they said, you know, just what a, what a thing to be able to be as part of that journey, to be able to be part of that young man's life and also just for him to be able to he opened us up because we began to talk to each other in that in that effect that it had on the whole group and there's that sense in which you know as as we go about whatever we do what about being attentive seeing what god is showing us with the people that are in front of us and engaging and then what we do to engage with compassion to almost try hard to press a pause button on the self-attention, self-pity, my stuff that's going on, and actually press the pause button for a moment and say, what do you need? How are you doing? How can I help you? What can I do for you? Trust me, you will have conversations. The moment you press that pause button on your own stuff, And with the compassion of Jesus, pay attention and engage people. You will never be short of conversations and encounters and opportunities. And then, you know, let the life of Christ in you touch the life of the other person. However they may look. It may be that you're praying for them. It may be that you're inviting them to, if it's a guy, invite him to men's breakfast or, or to football, you know, it might be to invite them to church. If, if they've got a family, you know, again, it may be that you're speaking to them and inviting them to come along. It may be that there's something that you can do to practically help them. It may be that just at that time, whatever they're sharing about their life, there's something that the Spirit of God brings from the Scripture, a story of Jesus that you're able to share with them and introduce Jesus to them and talk about him and encourage them to discover him and fall in love with him. However it is, it'd be all different, but it'd be part of that process of compassion, finding a way to bring Jesus as part of the story. Because really, you know, I'm I'm bankrupt. I've got nothing I can offer people. I can offer some uh, coffee and sympathy, but, you know, Jesus can offer life-changing stuff if we only become available to him to do that. So you see the transformation. And this is my longing, that the the same transformation will be happening both in people's lives and also in the local community as a result of lives being changed in that situation. I remember Steve Sjogren, and and, and we'll finish with that, and we'll get a worship team to come up. Steve Sjogren was um, telling a story in which they... uh, as a team, uh, attended a conference on evangelism. And as part of the team, uh, they uh, were taking some time to relax as well after the, the conference. And they went into the hotel whirlpool. And there were a couple of girls in their late teens, early 20s, that joined them in the tub. And actually, they were talking, this is America, so they were talking very openly, you, you know, just no, um, no kind of privacy in in earshot of everybody else, that uh, there was an upcoming Wiccan gathering. That's kind of kind of witchcraft kind of stuff. 
gathering that was supposed to be happening that she wanted to attend. So the, the people that were part of the team, the couple of people that were in the pool as part of the team, you know, they, they said our natural instinct would have been to try to warn them off, you know, from going to something like that because witchcraft is incredibly dangerous and damaging. But they said, look, we felt like the Spirit of God said, hold back, don't jump in, hold back. And the girls continued to talk, and it, it seemed like from the things that one of the girls were selling, the other one, um, she said, I'm really excited about this because actually my life until now has been incredibly traumatic, both my family life, my life in high school, and I heard that Wiccans are just very accepting. So I'm really excited about this because I want to experience a change in my life. She said, there's been so much rubbish that's been in my life trying to get through it all. And even therapy didn't help. So I'm looking for something that would be good. And um, then one of the people, the Christians, said to her, I think it's hard for you to imagine a future with things being just as they are right now without the change. And she said, yeah, very much so. And then she said this, the girl said this, sometimes I wish I could be born all over again and start my life over from scratch as a brand new life. Well, that was a cue. And then a couple of people on the team said, well, it's funny you should say that. Because Jesus himself talked about being born again and having a fresh start and a new beginning. And it's all about being available, paying attention, showing compassion, having the confidence to bring Jesus. May he help us to live like Peter and John and be able to impact people's lives with with, with his love and his power in a way that really has an effect not just on people's lives, but on the whole community as well. Amen. Amen. Before the band starts, just uh, maybe have a couple of minutes where we allow the Spirit of God to maybe just bring something to our mind and our attention about It could be that even right now there is someone that God will place on your heart that you could talk to and should talk to. Or maybe there's just an idea of something that the Spirit of God will give you about reaching somebody else. Or maybe this is just a good time to actually pray for yourself and say, like I do, Lord, give me that ability to consider, help me to be compassionate and help me to be confident to speak about you and introduce you to people. Let's just take the next couple of minutes before we respond in singing to allow the Spirit of God to help us as we pray to him. Spirit of God, help us to fall in love with Jesus more and more every day. 
Spirit of God, help us to have our ears and eyes open to see people. Spirit of God, fill our hearts with compassion. Spirit of God, give us the confidence that Jesus is the best thing we can offer to those around us. And teach us how to build bridges so that Jesus can walk to them or they can walk to Jesus. Amen.